Welcome back to I'm Open Podcast. We've got an awesome episode coming up. This is part one of my conversation with Dick Brescia. We're going to be going behind the scenes and learning about how networks compete for content. We're also going to be talking about baseball players' butts and when's the right moment to show some tough love. All this and so much more coming up next on the I'm Open Podcast. I'm Open Family. We are so blessed to have with us today, live in studio, a very, very, very special guest, bullfrog enthusiast, Chillmark golf champion, and former senior vice president of CBS Radio Network, Dick Brescia. Dick, thank you so much for being here on the I'm Open podcast. We are so excited to have you. I'm, I'm excited to be here. Yes. It is a pleasure. So we're going to jump right into it. I've got a lot of things I want to ask you about, and I know you've got a lot of uh, stories for us here. So I want to jump right into it. Now, just last week, the World Series just wrapped up, and it was a super exciting World Series, seven games, all the games were going back and forth. The first uh, World Series ever and the first seven-game series ever in American sports that we didn't have either home team win a single game. Um, and the Nationals, my Washington Nationals, ended up pulling it out in Game 7, which was super exciting. But despite all of this, this year we actually had our lowest-rated World Series ever, the least amount of people watched the World Series ever. Why Why would such an exciting World Series have such low ratings? I don't get it. Do you well, um, Washington, D.C. and Houston, Texas uh, – are great teams. They're both very great. And, and, and I was rooting for Washington along with you. Thank you. Um, ba- basically because the, um, uh, the team at Houston beat my team, the Yankees, in the, um, in the playoff. But I, I think you need a, um, either a major, uh, uh, competition between two teams. Certainly you need uh, major cities. Mm-hmm. So if the Yankees were playing the, um, well, if the Yankees were playing anyone, or the Los Angeles Dodgers mm-hmm. were playing anyone, I think the ratings would have been higher. So the, the ratings talk about interest, but they don't talk about the quality of games. And, and the games were, for the most part, um, you know, pretty exciting. Some of them were a little dull, but they, but the um, the result was very exciting to go yeah. seven to go seven games, and there was a lot of heroes involved, and yeah. uh, and that always helps, but. Yeah, Washington doesn't have a great national following, and and Houston, while a great team, doesn't have a great national following, and they are not uh, big rivals with each other. Yeah, and I'm a big sports fan. Obviously, I know you're a huge sports fan, and you basically taught me to be a sports fan, so that's how I know. Uh, I I do like feel like when I am watching sports, baseball is the most like regional sport. So, for example, like. If I'm watching baseball, I'll only really watch if it's either my team that I root for is playing. But if I'm watching football or basketball, I'm more likely to just say, oh, hey, the Warriors are playing. Oh, hey, the Packers are playing and just put the game on. Uh, Would you agree that baseball is kind of the most like people just watch their teams? Or do you think that's just like something that I personally do? No, I think that um, baseball is a is a starting off. It's got to have a regional popularity so you have fans of, of, of your teams but the baseball doesn't have the um, uh, the notoriety that football has mm-hmm. nor the following that football has uh, to begin with 
And um, so football, you've got a 16-game schedule and not a 162-game schedule. And every game takes on some meaning. Yeah, uh, not only the, the meaning for your team, but the meaning for the, the team that your team is competing with uh, in, in, its, in its various divisions. So there's always some implication of what's going on. And uh, I think the stars are brighter uh, because the, um, the interest is higher uh, with, the, uh, with the National Football League. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And, and you're right. Like when there's 162 games, it's hard to put as much impact or meaning into one game. Whereas for football, 16 games, every game really does mean a lot. And that actually might be the difference in making the playoffs or not, getting the number one pick or getting the number six pick in the draft. So a big star for Houston in the World Series was their pitcher, Garrett Cole. He's been a star for them all season. Now, I don't know if you saw this, but basically immediately after the World Series ended, they were doing the post-game media availability, and Garrett Cole, instead of wearing any Astros gear, he was wearing a hat from his representation, Scott Boris, who's like a super agent. I, I, I know. Scott you know him. Just to explain for our folks in the I'm Open family there who might not know, Scott Boris is a super, super agent who represents a lot of the most expensive and most talented baseball players. Right. So instead of wearing an Astro hat, he was wearing a Scott Boris hat. And then they asked him about the Astros, and he basically, Garrett Cole, this is, basically said, I don't know, I'm not employed by the Astros anymore, but it's been a great time. Do you think that's kind of low of him or I don't even know what the right word but do you think that's a bit slimy I guess of Garrett Cole that literally the the World Series had been done for less than an hour and he was already basically disowning the Astros and saying well those were the good old days but now I'm moving on and I'm not even employed by them anymore. Well the reality is that uh, long before that interview took place um, every baseball fan in the uh, country I'm talking about baseball fans now, mm-hmm. knew that uh, Derek Cole was going to be a free agent at mm-hmm. the end of the season. And so if you were a Yankee fan, you were hoping maybe the Yankees can get him. And if you were an Angels fan, you're hoping maybe the Angels can get him. And if you were a fan of any uh, competitive team, you were hoping your team could get them. So it was not a, a surprise um, when, he, um, when he underscored the fact that he was going to be a free agent and it was a business decision. He was yeah. letting everybody know that he was going to be a free agent and uh, probably have a new employer but do you uh, next think, year. Sorry to cut you off. No. Uh, do you think him basically saying, I'm not employed by Houston anymore, is that him like shirking his responsibility for the loss that Houston took? Obviously, he played really well in the series. He didn't pitch game seven, but... Do you think he was trying to distance himself from... I mean, it's not a failure to come in second. I think we treat in American sports, it's like you suck if you come in second, but it's still better than every other team. Well, um, it's a business. Mm-hmm. As you hear, when people are traded, and they, and they, whether it's football or baseball or basketball, uh, it is a business. He made a business decision. His, his loyalty is to his family. Yeah. And... Um, his family is his family, his, his wife, his kids, and, and his other loved ones in his family. And so he's going to make a decision uh, that will protect him for the rest of his life. I don't blame him for doing what he did. I don't, th- I don't think that the um, members of the team would blame him either. Yeah, that's a great point. I think a lot of times as fans, and I'm a really intense fan, obviously, as everybody, all the listeners know, we get so into the game 
that we're like, why doesn't this guy put it all on the line for his team? It's all about the team. Do everything for your team. You know, the name on the front of the jersey, not the name on the back of the jersey, you know, this, that, and the other. But we sometimes forget, like, these are real human beings, people with kids, wives, maybe other interests, other hobbies. Uh, And occupations. Right? This is their job, right? Right. This is their job. And then they still go home. They still like to be with their kids. And it's kind of crazy to expect, like you were saying, to, to expect somebody to put you know, their employer above their family. Well, That's a little... there's nothing wrong with um, a, a fan. Remember, fans is a, a, a short version of fanatics. Yeah. And so um, uh, if you are a real fan, you're fanatic about your team. That's true. And, and the players on that team. But uh, over the last couple of decades, those players haven't been consistent on a team for a long period of time. Many, many famous players move from one team to another, uh, and so their their allegiance is is to their, their, their personal business. Yeah. yeah. So Garrett Cole is obviously an awesome pitcher. He's one of the best pitchers of you know in the <clears> world at, at the moment. And pitchers come in all shapes and sizes. Some are tall, some are short, some are, are chunky, some throw sidearms, some throw power fastballs. But one thing that you taught me that all great pitchers have in common is a great ass. Now, would you mind sharing? This is one of the first, I, I still remember you telling me about this, watching baseball as a kid. Um, would you mind telling me where you learned that story and why it's so important for pitchers to have a great ass? We were, um, <laughs> we were at a, um, uh, an all-star game. I believe it was an all-star game. It may even have been a World Series. And um, we had a, um, a great sportscaster who did all of our, our pre-games for the, for the World Series. I think it was a World Series. And uh, his name was Wynn Elliott. And Wynn was a terrific, terrific broadcaster. And Wynn and I were in the elevator um, riding down to the lobby in, in the hotel we were staying at. And um, Don Sutton got on the elevator with us. And he rec- he didn't know who I was, but he he did recognize when, and he nodded hello to him, and um, and a couple of other people got on. And then when they were leaving the elevator, when held my arm and said, "Wait wait a second. So as we were walking out, Don walked out, and obviously uh, his buttocks or his ass was <laughs> was very pronounceable. And uh, and when said to me, "See that? That's the sign of a great pitcher." When you see an ass like that, you know that he's built up the strength in his legs and he knows how to pitch with his legs. Now, and, just and, quickly, because we have a lot of folks in the I'm Open family around the world who might not know who Don Sutton is. Would you mind just sharing with them? He's a great pitcher for the Los Angeles Dodgers, yeah. And why? So, I mean, pitching, though, you pitch with your arms. Why is it so important? Like, no, you know. So, break it down for us. Well, you, you pitch with your legs and you pitch with your brain. Mm. And, um, and the arm is obviously very, very important, and mm-hmm. your strength is very important. But um, as you said, pitchers come in all shapes and sizes, and they come in, um, uh, in a, with a variety of um, pitches that they use, arsenal mm-hmm. of pitches that they use. Some of them are overpowering, like mm-hmm. Mr. Cole. Others are um, um, just uh, tremendously... Um, consistent in what they do. They have great control and they change speeds and they do things like, you know, 
Mr. Maddox from the uh, Atlanta Braves is mm-hmm. one of those pitchers. It was, it was that kind of a pitcher. Mm-hmm. It didn't have to be overpowering. It's, mm-hmm. it's good to have a fastball, obviously, but he could he could uh, move balls up and down, in and out, and, uh, and so I think most people will tell you, you, you if you've got the right legs underneath you, and and you're and you're smart at what you're doing, uh, that those are the two ingredients that you want to have. Yeah, that's really interesting. And I think, you know, the way you explained it is like, if you think of your body as like a slingshot almost, or like a catapult, you create all of the torque with the base. And then at the end, your arm is just sort of the the sling, right? So your arm is just getting whipped around based on the strong twisting motion of your body at the end of the yeah, day. But so that's it, why it's so important. You know, you have to have, you have to have um, uh, the... Um flexibility and the um, and the strength of your arm too that's very important obviously but the core of your body is the importance in the legs i think and, and you see most of the great pitchers tom siever was a great example of that too speaking of ass The New York Jets have been having a pretty tough season so far. (laughs) And the controversy is actually picking up now, right? It doesn't seem like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. And there was a whole situation where one of their best players, Jamal Adams, specifically told the team he did not want to get traded. Then they went and discussed trading him behind his back. And now we had a quote come out just this past week where Christopher Johnson, the team's CEO, was heard on a video saying... Um, hopefully our team will actually show up this week. Can you believe that the CEO uh, <laughs> management position is supposed to be a leader, a rallying point for the New York Jets would say something? Do you think this is a sort of tough love type thing? Or do you think he was hoping that nobody would hear that on video? <laughs> <laughs> I think the art of misspeaking <laughs> has been um, brought to a... Um, uh, a really refined level by many people in sports, and not only CEOs, but mm-hmm. uh, the players and the managers themselves. I mean, that obviously I don't think is what he meant to say, but unfortunately it is what he did say. And sometimes um, when comments like that come out, that they probably are also um, revealing um, what the real feelings are going on uh, in someone's head. I have no idea what he was thinking of, but uh, you don't have to be um, a genius to figure out that you're, if you're a Jets fan or a, uh, or a Jets owner or a Jets coach that the team is underperforming <laughs> expectations of what, you know, <laughs> yeah. of what they had. Now, maybe their expectations were a little too high, mm-hmm. but um, when you're um, one in six or whatever they are right mm-hmm. now, and you're um, struggling when you thought you were going to challenge the, the Patriots for a, a division title, um, and, you, and now you're wondering if you'll even finish the season. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, the fans are upset. Um, and I think the, um, and, and that, you know, that makes for the players to be upset too. I'm sure that the player in this instance also had high hopes for the season. And he's a marvelous, um, defensive back. So, you know, he's probably disappointed where they are as well. So you, you've got a lot of angst going on. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and, and misspeaking is not going to yeah. help it at all. 
and the fact that um, he also said that he he wasn't at a point where he thought he could talk to either the coach or the general manager, um, there seems to be some sort of a schism in there. That's and whether whether it, whether the hurt feelings are justified or not, um, I, I I don't know. Uh, a general manager is supposed to take any phone call that comes in, and I, I don't think they were they were offering him around. But that's what the general manager's job is, and um, and the players um, I think have to understand, like like Cole did for the uh, Houston Astros, that it's a business, mm. and and in in their case, when they have to look out for themselves and their family, um, they can't take everything personal. Mm. If if they, if they wind up being part of a business transaction, they may be upset, and and that's fine. They love the team. But in the long run, they have to make a decision at some point where they may have to leave the team. So yeah. So you've, I mean, speaking of this, this guy. You, I mean, who knows? Like you were saying, was he meaning for this to get out or not? Was it supposed to be just in confidence to a friend, or was he hoping to light a fire under the team? Who knows? But you, you, Dick, have had experience in terms of being a leader, being a manager. Do you feel like you fall more on, on Christopher Johnson's side? Or I guess we don't even have to bring him, him into it, but do you feel like you more fall on the side of tough love or uh, praise? What What's your motivating style? What do you think rallies a team? What do you think gets a team or a workforce or whatever it might be, uh, whatever group of people to do their best and perform at their highest? What type of motivation? Well, you were asking what my management style was mm-hmm. like compared to other people. I think that um, um, the first responsibility, if, if you're the boss of an organization, and, 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 and I was the boss of a complex organization, we had um, multiple networks that dealt with news and entertainment and sports. Mm-hmm. Um, we had negotiations with the, the National Football League, uh, Major League Baseball, the NCAA basketball that I all, I took part in, uh, the Masters Golf Tournament. So we we had a, a complex group of um, affiliates across the country, over five hundred businessmen who happened to run radio stations, and um, and then we had a complex uh, relationship with. Um, the people who provided us programming, whether they were entertainment or sports. And um, and then we had a complex re- reputation to protect with the advertisers. Um, and then, of course, we had to um, have a fairly good relationship with the corporation that I, that I worked for. And I believe that the um, my responsibility and the way I managed was to try to create an environment that led let a, a lot of qualified people perform at their very best. And if that meant um, feeling free and willing to try something or recommend something that we could do that might be a little bit risky, I wanted to hear that. But if it meant that I had to... Uh, so I don't treat everybody the same. If there was a, a manager that needed to be leaned on a little bit and pushed in the right direction, I, I would talk to him. I, I would bring him in and I'd say, this is what I think you need to do to improve yourself and also make life easier for me. Yeah. But if, if someone came in to me with what might be a wacky idea 
and I and I could see that there was a potential for um, a uh, an opportunity to not only serve part of the public but to make a profit. I'd encourage that. Yeah. And I and I do that in front of the other members of my of my staff, my executive staff, so that um, everybody can kind of participate in things and feel what's going on. And so my job was to create an environment that that was a the best possible environment for people to succeed. And if they did, I did. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I mean, I love your answer because mm-hmm. a great boss and a great leader wants their the, the, the troops they're leading, the team they're leading to succeed in whatever in whatever ways they can, right? That makes you look better. And everybody is motivated and every everybody kind of needs their buttons pressed in different ways. Some people need kind of a kick in the ass, a harsh word. Some people need you to say, you're so smart, you're going to be great. And like you were saying with your leadership style, people feel good when they feel empowered. Even if they know they're not the boss, if they know they have the ear of the boss, that makes people feel really good and it makes people excited to try to bring in ideas, bring energy to work every day. Yeah, they, they, they have to, I believe, that they have to view themselves as the boss in their specific field. I had a, um, uh, a vice president of programming and sports who also happened to be a, um, a friend of mine, and I hired him. I had worked with him early in his career uh, at another network, and he was tremendous with uh, talent. And so I would, I would leave him alone. He'd come in with ideas of who, who we should hire and what we should do. And the only time I would get involved uh, with him and, and this is at his, at his suggestion too, was when it, when it came to compensation. If uh, an agent, which usually happened, an agent got involved and started leaning on Frank, my mm-hmm. my my program vice president, you know, he would say, because I would have to sign off eventually on it. So there was no sense in him trying to negotiate and then coming to me. But he would say to the agent, "I'm going to have Dick talk to you." And um, and if if I had made an agreement, which I had with one of our star performers, uh, who was Jack Buck, heard of him. And, and Jack did um, uh, did our Monday night football games, and and he did the World Series, and he also did um, the Super Bowls mm-hmm. for us, uh, along with Hank Stram. I had an agreement when I when I f- first put the contract together with. Um, with Jack, that Jack would be the highest paid sports personality. For CBS or in the whole For country? CBS. Okay. For CBS. Because I was only negotiating for CBS. For yeah, but sure. he knew that if someone came in and was going to command more money, I would have to bump his salary up. That was my handshake was with him. Okay. Yeah. So that if we ran into a situation, and we did on a couple of occasions, where an agent wanted to um, um, be paid more than I was paying uh, Jack, then Frank would call me in, and I would talk to the agent. And um, and for the most part, we would work that out. Well, 100% of the time, we would work it out the way I wanted it to, to work out. Yeah. Um, and when you got a talent like Jack... Yeah. You're gonna you're gonna please him, right? You're gonna keep him. You're gonna do what it takes to keep him happy. That's why that's why I had that that, that arrangement with him. He, mm-hmm. was, he was extremely important to um, to our success, and um, and so he knew where we where we stood on that. So um, and the, and the new people that came in that that might have asked for more money, 
understood what I was doing. Um, and, 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 and most of the ones that, um, that, that, uh, that we added after that really wanted to do the games that we were, that we had the rights to do. So mm-hmm. they were interested in, in doing that too. Yeah. And it's, it's wild when you think about it and when you tell, tell the story with Jack and, and d- d- negotiating with his contract and, and him doing the World Series, the Super Bowl, because, you know, we were just talking about the World Series earlier in, in the show and, his son, Joe Buck, is still doing the World Series to this day. So when you look back to, to those negotiations and deals that you were setting up, I mean, that's like kind of laying the groundwork for still the, the, the World Series show that we get today uh, with, with featuring his son, Joe Buck. So it's wild how it does run in the family. With those well, guys. I'm sure that uh, Jack had more influence on Joe than I did. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, certainly, uh, certainly it's in the genes. So I'm glad you, you led me into a perfect segue here because I, you are uniquely suited based on your experience to talk about this. What, what, what leads me into this question and this, this discussion is, um, I don't know if you saw wrestling, the world wrestling, worldwide wrestling entertainment or whatever they're called, um, just signed a huge deal with Fox to be primetime on Fox every Friday night. It was a huge deal for wrestling. That's WWE. A WWE, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, Friday Night Smackdown mm-hmm. is now going to be like on Fox, which is a huge deal. And I think a lot of people who watch sports and watch TV in general don't realize that um, different networks, you know, are almost bidding for programming like this, like the Super Bowl, like Smack, like uh, WWE Smackdown, where uh, it's not just you know. It's not they just show up and start doing the show on CBS or start doing the show on Fox. There's sort of a competi- competition for programming behind the scenes between these different networks to, to put on the best programming. There's always been a competition for that. That that, that isn't anything new. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah. could you take so like as a fan, like I feel like a lot of us as as whether we're sports fans, whether we just watch TV, because that's true obviously for the Super Bowl and for wrestling for the World Series, but it's also true for. Seinfeld or for, for TV shows and, and for, for a media person for like, you know, Anderson Cooper or whatever. So could you take us behind the scenes on the negotiating style? What is it like when you're maybe bidding against another uh, network for, for a show or a piece of programming that you really want or when you're sort of competing to have the most valuable entertainment? Um, products to show to the audience? What take us behind the scenes and behind the curtain with that? Well, um, First of all, um, the on-the-air product, whether it's radio or television, is what attracts uh, listeners and advertisers. And so sports and and personalities and stars um, are the big magnet uh, to the population. And the more people that the um, radio or television uh, enterprise can employ... And, and present to the public, uh, the better their chances are uh, to be a profitable uh, operation. Uh, wrestling is not my favorite sport uh, <laughs> by a long shot. However, it is for, for many, many people. They, um, they, uh, they enjoy it. And as long as they do, there will be a, a, an appetite for those networks that want to bid for that product. 
so that they can show it to the people. Mm-hmm. When uh, when we've had the bid, and I've, I've, I've had the bid um, for the National Football League rights and for Major League Baseball rights, and um, and for the NCAA basketball rights and mm-hmm. for the, the master's rights and all, yeah. all of this stuff. So I'm familiar with what is, is going on, uh, you know, behind the scenes. We, um, the first thing we need to do is to say, will this help us um, attract better stations to our network so that we can generate bigger audiences? And will the programming also appeal to uh, a large segment of the um, of the listening or viewing population, and if it does, then we have to put the. Um, that's where you need someone who who has a a very good feeling for mathematics yeah. to to be part of what you're doing. And, to and I was very, the value. I was I was very fortunate at uh, at CBS to have a, a controller who understood this stuff, and it was a big help to me when I would be putting bids together. Um, and so you then have to make you have to make a bid based on what you think you can generate in terms of revenue, even if it means you're just breaking even, but it, you're you're helping to attract new advertisers and you're helping to um, uh, attract new affiliates mm-hmm. to you and and more listeners to or viewers to to whatever you're doing. Uh, obviously, you want it to be profitable. Um, certainly, on all the bids that I made, um, that was one of the first questions that was asked by my superiors at the corporation. How is this going to impact on our bottom line? Mm-hmm. What are we going to do? Um, I can give you an example of um, bidding for the for the baseball rights. The, I think it was the last um, the last contract that I was involved in. We had the rights of first refusal which is kind of a, um, a joke in, yeah. uh, in, 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 in negotiations. And we had, we had created a, um, a large following for, for Major League Baseball. And we were, we were given the... I was sent a, a note by members of the Major League Baseball negotiating committee mm. uh, saying, you have the right to pick up the... Um, the, the rights for that to continue along this without without us going to see anybody else and the number they gave me was twelve times the, the what I what I had been paying for it. So do you think it was like a game of chicken almost where they oh, were no, trying no. to scare you off? No, no, no. They weren't trying to scare me off. They were trying to tell me I didn't have a right of first refusal. Oh, at all. <laughs> I was going to be into a competition. <laughs> So I sent them a note back, mm-hmm. and I got a nice reply from the from the two guys that were um, that were heading that negotiation. I said, "You you sent this uh, right of first refusal to the wrong person." It must be a typo you, you, or no, something. No, no. I said you should have sent it to, and I mentioned the name of um, of the guy that was handling the the bidding for the television network. Oh. So they they laughed at that. Yeah. They said, "No, no, no. We sent it to the right person." So, so I understood what was going on. So we went into a, a competitive bid with all the other radio networks that are around. So NBC and ABC and Mutual. Um, 
And I think there was one other new network that was, that was in there. So there was going to be four or five networks bidding. And they decided, Major League Baseball decided to um, do the bid the way they used to do the bid for the Olympics. In the Olympics, back then, they would put all the networks, the major networks, in different rooms. And they would call them and they would say, the bid is a, is a, a billion dollars. Do you accept it? And they'd say, no. And, and then they'd go to that. And they'd work their way around as they, as they brought the price down. It's 800 million, it's 600, whatever it was. And they did that with us with Major League Baseball. Not at those numbers. Mm-hmm. But they, and we had designed, in order to go into this negotiation, I had uh, put together a plan to bring back uh, to a national audience, even though baseball is regional, the game of the week. The game of the week had not been on radio or television for a long period of time. For baseball still we're talking about. And this is for baseball. So we put a plan together that would do a game of the week um, right through the baseball season. Now, while that added to our cost, it also added to our ability to generate revenue. Mm. And, and the way we had figured the, uh, the, the cost revenue uh, situation, we were going to make enough money uh, by adding that and, and also then adding the, the price of what we were going to charge for the, for the playoffs and the World Series to make a profit on it. Yeah. Difficult, but it was makeable. So we had went through the same bidding process where they called us up and they said, here's the bid. And, um, and same deal where you're all in separate rooms, not knowing. We're all in separate okay. rooms. And I was getting a call from the uh, a gentleman that worked in the, the commissioner's office. And he would say, the bid is uh, $50 million or whatever it was. And, and oh, you went around. And um, uh, so I would say, we're out. And then you go around the room again. And then, then they'd call me back in about 20 minutes, half an hour, and say, the bid is now $40 million. Are you in or out? And I would say, well, we're out. And Jack Buck and his wife were sitting in the uh, in my suite with me uh, and, 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 your, and your grandmother. And uh, Jack got up after I turned him down on, on one of the bids, and he said... Um, we're going down to the bar. I'll meet you down in the bar when this is all over. <laughs> this is stretch. too much. This is too much tension for me. <laughs> wow. And I said, fine. And um, we eventually wound up. Uh, I, I got a phone call, and I I forget what the number was at the time, but I I, I agreed to the number, and then I added another hundred thousand or a quarter of a million dollars to the number. I said. I'll agree to the number and I'll add this to it as well. Oh, that's nice of you. And, uh, well, I had to work that out with the guy at the corporation yeah. on the phone. I told him what I was going to do, and yeah. he said, that, that, that's fine. Um, and then I got a phone call back and said, you got it. I got Actually, I got a phone call from the commissioner. Yeah. And was very happy that we got it. And, and the nice thing about it, because we had nurtured our relationship with the owners of the, um, of the Major League Baseball teams, and at the time, and this was done in um, in Nashville, uh, at the time that the commissioner went to the owners and said that the, that CBS Radio had gotten uh, the rights, 
Bowie Coon, who was the Ptolemy that that the owners applauded. They were happy really? they were happy with the relationship that they had with us. With CBS, that's great. With, I mean, with the radio and, and the personalities and and the way we handle the sports. So, so that was a you know, that that's was a great, great thing. feedback. And it was really smart of you to to add a little sort of icing on top to the deal because who knows, maybe if somebody else in one of the other rooms accepted the same deal but you were willing to throw in a little extra Maybe that was what put you guys over the top. Who knows? Well, I was hedging my bet. Yeah, that's really that's that <laughs> if is. If we were going to go that high, it wasn't going to. We weren't going to wind up uh, losing uh, for another quarter of a million dollars or so uh, that much more money. So, and that's stressful, not knowing mm-hmm. how the folks are reacting in another mm-hmm. room. It's not like a whatever, like an art auction, like folks seeing movies or maybe right. if they've attended in person where you like raise a paddle up. It's tough when it's like a blind auction. And you it, don't is know a, other folks it, it is tough. It's very difficult. Yeah. Thanks again for listening to I'm Open Part 2 of this conversation coming up next week. In the meantime, tell your friends to listen to the show. Give us a rating or review on iTunes and follow us on Instagram at I'm Open underscore pod. Everybody, have a great night and don't forget to stay open.